Welcome everyone to Wish You'd Known. I'm Danny Visser and I'm joined by Sharif Hamza, the Head of Retail Claims at Zurich, and the wonderful Glenn James. Hello everybody. And today we're diving into claims, particularly the mind and the spine, which are two pretty topical, juicy discussions. And we've actually dipped into the My Risk Advisor group today with some questions that you want answered in relation to the mind and the spine. So, yeah. what are those do, questions? Do you want to just yeah. go for it? Let's go for uh, it. So, welcome, Sharif. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, the My Risk Advisor Facebook group, anyone can join it. It's predominantly a discussion about risk. Uh, Scott O'Donnell says, I'm interested in the ongoing evolution of how mental health claims are being treated. Uh, and there was a little follow-up one here. Uh, was there an avalanche of mental health claims from COVID that may that many advisors or insurance companies didn't predict? So, mental health lay of the land. Mental health lay of the land. Um, no, there wasn't a spike in mental health claims as a result of COVID. Um, not to say that that won't happen. We will we'll probably find out more early next year as to whether there um, is any spike as a result of that. But certainly nothing that I've seen and when I've spoken to my colleagues across the industry, there's there's really not much that we've seen in relation to mental health as a result of COVID-19 at this stage. So that's the proviso on that mm. one. Um, now, mental health, um, topical, particularly as we say as a result of covid And we've seen government throw a lot of funding and support around mental health and mental health support. Um, The the issue I I think society is finding at the moment is, while it's great to have all this funding around mental health and mental health services, we still run into the barrier of accessibility. Um, And that's where I think the big source of frustration is for um, people who are on claim. Um, but also people in society as well, because getting in to see someone can actually be quite a lengthy process. So you may call today and ask to see, do want to speak to a counsellor or a psychiatrist, and you could be on a waiting list for for anywhere between three to six months. Um, so I think that's the real barrier. It's not that um, you know. I think everyone wants to support customers as much as we can in terms of getting people back to health. Um, but I think the accessibility of treatment is really the, the biggest barrier we have in relation to mental health. Question. Um, mental health, a lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people are insured for it, whether they know it or not. Part of their retail contract, they should know it if they've got an advised policy. Have you had- Unless they have an exclusion. Unless they have an exclusion. <laughs> they should be told if they've got an exclusion. You've got to be, to commence the waiting period, you've got to be under the care of a doctor. Yes. It's Is it obvious or evident that you would allow for a mental health claim than to be under the care of just their GP? And if so, how much discretion do you have if there's a, if it's a two month period that they're off work and for the first waiting period, that first month, the GP said, you're really unwell, you need to stop working. At what point in the claims process are you guys saying we need a psychiatrist or a psychologist and if you can clarify which one you'd prefer uh, to assess the claim? So, talk to us about that with a GP. Yeah, so if they're under the care of a GP, that's usually fine. Sure. Um, so, a GP is still a registered medical practitioner. 
obviously what we try and do is engage with those medical practitioners um, as quickly as we can um, and where we can provide support. Um, and one thing we will do is, you know, a lot of insurers have consultant medical officers who uh, you may actually reach out to the treating GP and have conversations around, um, you know, how's the treatment going? How's the customer progressing? Um, and there might be conversations there where it might become evidence that maybe we do need to provide some additional support, and whether that's through a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, um, etc. But they're generally um, suggestions that we would make to the GP. Um, and in the main, I think what we want to do is encourage the appropriate treatment to take place because what we what we're all striving to do is is get um, our clients and our our customers and society back to health um, and ensuring that they have the right support and treatment around them to be able to do that. And that's a much easier task when we get onto it quickly, like we actually step into that support role earlier in their journey. Is that right? Because that's sort agree. of what, that's totally a message agree. I've certainly heard. Within- and I think the evidence out there is clear that, uh, you know, work is good medicine and, and the more quickly someone, the longer someone's away from work, the less likely they are to return to work. So, a variety of different insurers, uh, they're doubling down on this. We're really caring for claimants on mental health claim. Again, I'll always default to the practical. If someone's been off work for two months, just under the care of their GP, and there might be a mental health plan that the GP has put them on, which uh, and I think the government now are paying for 20 sessions. Yes. Um, how much practical help is the insurance company providing if they're on claim? Will you pay a gap payment for a psychologist visit? No. Okay. No. So, we, we, can't, we can't be seen to be paying for treatment um, and we're not licensed to do that. Okay. So, yeah. So, number one, the support that we hear in insurance land and advisor land, uh, insurers, we're really supporting our clients. It's not one cent more than what they're insured for. Exactly. Like there is some there is some talk around at the moment in terms of whether there's a, a pay for treatment pilot, um, but that's just something that's a, a discussion at the moment and whether that gets any traction or not. But where we stand today, no, we, okay. we, we don't. What, what we can don't we do um, within our toolkit to help people back to health? Like what what works? Like what toolkit do we have? And within that toolkit, what is the most useful tool? So there's a lot of things. There's rehabilitation support that can be provided. Um, some organisations like at Zurich, um, our mental health team do a great job. They've got some mental health coaching that, that can support people. Okay. Um, so that is, sorry to cut you off, but that is an example. If I'm on mental health claim, there could be an employee at Zurich who I can talk with Yes. So, okay. so effectively, it's not someone at Zurich, but it's someone that Zurich would use or a provider that we would use to provide that. that, that okay. So, there are some uh, dollar benefits, but more soft dollar benefits for the claimant on claim. Exactly. Okay, so, it's a, yeah. Yeah. Because that's what I want to get to because we hear all this support stuff, but cutting to the chase, I'm on claim. What's my insurance company doing for me? Yeah, so the, like rehabilitation have a number of services that, that, that could be provided. They might be, it might be things like, um, like we mentioned mental health coaching, but it could be, you know, even a gym program to, to sort of get them um, out, 
yeah, there could be work trials. Um, there could be a number of things that we could try just to just to help them and assist them in that return to health journey. And how responsive are claimants to that? When you offer these rehabilitation services, in the main, how do people absorb or lean into that? I think it depends where they are on their journey. Um, now, some people are – and rehab's one of those things where it can be very successful – for people who are in the right headspace who actually want to or who are motivated to actually um, get better. Some people just aren't at that point yet where they're, they're just overwhelmed with everything that's going on, so that may not be appropriate. But I think it's very dependent on the individual. And I think when we talk about rehabilitation in particular, it's about catering, catering those needs to the individual rather than trying to force a, a system down their throat. A question, and you know, we haven't really prepped Sharif with any of this, so we're thankful. Um, mental health claim we know stress, anxiety is a huge mental health issue that can stop us functioning as people. How important is it for your team? And if you're speaking on behalf of retail claims as an industry, one of the big levers to help stress in someone's life is freaking cash in the bank account. And that's making sure a claim's paid as soon as we can. What measures are we doing as a claims world to make sure that can happen as soon as possible for people? Yeah, look, I think one thing we are always mindful of is um, our time to decision on these claims. Um, and you're right, because I think the biggest stress that people have is financial stress. Um, so where, where, where there are genuine claims that should be paid and can be paid, they'll be paid. What about um, GP's got a report done, the initial treating doctor's report? Yes, it's a claim. Uh, GP said, I've sent them to a psychiatrist and you've pretty much got to request the psychiatrist report, maybe the same way that you would do a PMAR for underwriting. That could take months. What kind of levers do you have um, with goodwill to go, look, we're going to release a month of payment? even though we haven't admitted the claim. Yeah, look, we, we have done that on occasion as well. Um, it really does depend on the medical evidence. Sure. Um, and, and, that, uh, and I just want to stress that it, it's very dependent on what medical evidence you have. Um, if someone's under the care of a medical practitioner and you're waiting on a psychiatrist report, they're still under the care of, a, sure. a, of the GP who's a medical practitioner. Um so there might want to be some valid reasons um, that that you're withholding payment or, or waiting on that report. But in the main, I would have thought that if you're under the care of the medical practitioner and it's a genuine claim, then those claims should be paid. Sure. So I think going back to uh, the last episode we did about best practices with claims, are there any different things before we move on to like musculoskeletal and the spine any things that you would recommend advisors do with their clients if there's a, a potential mental health claim that pops up? In the main, people think that if someone's got a mental health disorder or issue that we should leave them alone. And that's probably not what we should be doing. We should be it's providing them- not best them, for them long term. Exactly. We should be providing them with support and work is good medicine. And, and people have got to realise that and the stats will-, will back me up 100% in terms of 
work is good medicine and you only need to, you know, look at the health benefits of good work paper that's been written around that particular issue. So that is something that I would say is encourage them to still remain active. Encourage them to participate in the in the process, in the forms, exactly. because the stress and the overwhelm will only increase as they step away from it. And I guess that's probably a great space for an advisor to step into that space and really, you know, really manage that um, that that kind of process around it. And I, I think the other thing is, if you've got someone who's on mental health claim, and we're trying to get them back to work, and you're supporting them in the right way but you think they need some more support, then let us know. Because we can use rehabilitation to help help support them in the workplace. And that's one thing I would... Which is no out-of-pocket cost to the claimant. Exactly. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at before. There are resources. You're not writing checks and reimbursing people. No, no, no. But there are resources in-house that you can wheel out if Agreed. you know. Great. Like we can we can appoint a rehab provider to help support them in their workplace in terms of, you know, helping them manage the, the stress levels and anxiety of returning to work and, and getting that successful return to work to occur. I think it's important as well. Um, as an advisor, we have this intimate window into our client's world about their money, their health issues, possible claims – there is still a stigma about mental health out there. Don't be weird. Just treat people normally. They're unwell. It's no different if they were lying in hospital and having, you know, some of their bowel removed because of diverticulitis. Like, which is, which is, and it's a really good point, right? Because if someone had a broken arm, you can see they've got a broken arm. You can see they're unwell. When someone's got a mental health condition, you can't see that. Mm. Um, so you've really. You, you, you've got to provide support to those people, but you just can't leave them alone. And mm. support is asking questions and really, exactly. I guess, being that person who's had that bird's eye view of their world previous, like you've known their relationships, you've known their cash flows, weaknesses and strengths, you've known, you know a lot about them and all their different intersecting parts of that person. And it's probably a really great time to be able to nudge them towards health with that knowledge of what impacts that person and builds their world and builds joy and positivity in that world, they're in a great spot to be able to. Yeah, you know, and nudge I think them. we just need to normalise it. Like I, I've talked publicly on my Millennial Money, the podcast that I run, um, about mental health. I was telling Danny, she's like, "Oh, how are you going?" Like this is yesterday. I'm like, "Well, to be honest, I'm weaning off Effexor because I've been on it six years and I'm freaking over it. Like, and I just want to feel my body." It's no different than me walking in when I had my eight ankle operations and went to an industry event with my boot on. So I think as people, as society, we need to just be okay with it. Yeah, and I think one thing we are seeing is people are now okay to start talking about it. Totally. Um, And and the stats are scary, right, in terms of mental health and, you know, the the percentage of population that will suffer a mental health condition in the last – 12 months or over their lifetime, like they're significant stats. Mm. So it's good that we're having those conversations. Yeah. But the, it just can't be a one-stop shop. Yeah. Because it's about continuing that. And I, I've had legitimate claims for mental health in my business and it 
it's real, it happens. And I guess as a segue into this spine and musculoskeletal, some of the nuances around mental health can happen, particularly with back pain, chronic back pain. Absolutely. Um, I mean, definitely. I think you see secondary conditions um, for musculoskeletal claims in the main um, mental health conditions. Yeah, a mate of mine who's had a uh, disc replacement, he's on, you know, the bloody Lyrica is sending him nuts. And if you've been on that before, it's a wild ride. Mm. So it's just so nuanced. And I just want you, if you are new to the advice world, you've got to speak with your clients at application stage with a claim lens on somewhere. Get a third eye and have a claims lens on it. Like, Yeah, that, that's a really um, – because ultimately you're going to get woven into the process. So spending a little bit more time up front and really teasing that out can save a lot of time down down the track. And also when, you know, that you have that sort of claim happen, you know you've done all you can to really make sure that it's an experience rather than something that's you know, can be – you know, arduous and difficult to manage. And I guess the one thing that I would like to, as an ex-underwriter, <laughs> ask you, Sharif, there's a bit of a, um, there's a bit of a joke out in the insurance profession that borderline if someone, someone say borderline standard, should be right, wasn't it? <laughs> if someone's got a spine, we'll we'll exclude it. You know, we are particularly like I am a mad. Um, exerciser, particularly in COVID world. And I go to the physio, the osteopath, and I do all these remedial massages. And it's literally connected to my love of exercise and just to keep my body moving. But I was thinking the other day, imagine if an insurer, and I tried to go for insurance now, saw that I'm, you know, seeing all these people kind of every four or five weeks religiously. I'd get exclusions all over my body. How your, uh, my question to you is, What's your opinion on that and in terms of how we actually view um, view past history? Are we, are we doing that fairly based on the claims that you see? Can you tell her? Yeah. <laughs> this is what you got to tell Danny. Uh, you probably best to speak to the head of underwriting. Yeah, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I know. I was, I was, I was actually <laughs> going to suggest that. I need to bring anyway. them in next week. Yeah. <laughs> ask, ask Pete or Tina and maybe they'll – Look, I'll reframe my right question. Do you think it's a fair call and and at your end, do you think that our our due diligence um, around back issues is justified? Yes. And, and the reason why I say that is um, you need – there could be an underlying issue there, okay? Um, and – I would say that we are in the business of risk. Um, so our underwriting cousins, while well, while we do give them some grief and claims, um, in the main they are they are managing risk. So I think they need to appreciate the histories of individuals. What does that lifestyle look like, and make a call on it. Um, in terms of how they come up with decisions um i mean that's probably not the right place for me to say i mean we we effectively identify um you know disclosure issues that haven't been identified we we enforce policy terms and conditions we enforce exclusions how they came about that i'm probably not best positioned to say yeah and well we'll park that as an idea we probably need to talk with underwriting 
long-term claims, mental health, spine, musculoskeletal, all that stuff, it can lead to on like long-term claims. There's a question in the group about, you know, if someone's been on claim five years, why aren't they just writing a check for TPD? Talk to us about uh, why they wouldn't as a claims department and maybe why they should. Yeah. So, look, it's a good question. Uh, one thing we've got to reiterate, we've got to remind ourselves is under the Life Code, if we are, if we identify a claim where they should be lodging a TPD claim, we actually will go out and, and tell them that, you know, we, we think you're at the point where your TPD, we're satisfied with your TPD and you should probably consider lodging a claim. Um, not those exact words, but... Yeah, paraphrase. Yeah, paraphrasing. Um, now, the reason why we wouldn't... Um, look, mental health um, in particular fluctuates over the years. So people, um, they get better, they, 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 they suffer, they get better, they, they get suffer. Treatment's always changing in... in in every field, right? Like advancements in five years' time around, you know, treatment advances that people will make will, will be huge. Um, also, people's motivation. Like people may also be motivated to want to try something new um, and, and we're working with them on that. Is there a possibility that we can get them back to work in a partial disability, um, on a partial disability basis? So each claim has individual circumstances, individual nuances, um, and we want to ensure that um, basically everyone's got the opportunity to return to work where they can. Um, but for those people who we know that they're going to be TPD regardless, then we, are, we will go out and tell them, look, you need to lodge that TPD claim. What, yeah. what percentage of claims on the income protection front, and then I'll get you to comment also on the, the TPD front, are actually musculoskeletal or joint issues? Like, rare, love, I know it's love, very roughly. Love, love those questions without, <laughs> yeah. without notice. Lots. Um, <laughs> lots and lots. Look, I think you'll find on TPD in the main, um, look, it is the top, top two or three conditions for – any claims or for, for IP in particular, musculoskeletal, mental health, um, and cancer. You'll probably find that'll be consistent across TPD as well. Like they'll be the top three causes in the main. We are seeing, I think, a, a bit more of an increase on, on mental health now, um, but still musculoskeletal is, is the main do you think the mental health side, as a society, we're all getting more woke to what the hell it actually is and that people actually have these problems, that the claims are becoming more apparent because people are actually saying, oh, no, this isn't normal. I'm actually unwell because I've been told about mental health. I think it, I think it came, comes back to my earlier point that I think people are talking about it a lot more. Mm. Um, and I think while people are willing to talk about it, um, it's definitely created an awareness. Mm. So, and that's why I think people now are going out there and, and, and seeking um, attention. And we only have to look at, and I think I mentioned before, the stats are quite clear that people are definitely, you know, more aware of their mental health and they're going out and actually speaking to a, to a GP about it um, or will suffer from it. The issue we've got is even if people identify that they've got a mental health condition, it's whether that follow-up treatment can, continues. 
So they might have a one-off, but they may not necessarily continue with anything. As a as a claims, I guess, head, and I know it would probably be different for every insurer, is there this type of black book in the claims top drawer that if you've been on mental health or uh, back issue claim or X, whatever that issue is, and it's been after six months and based on the actuarial tables, you should be back to work. At what point do you wheel out an independent uh, medical professional that the insurer will pay for, just for their own due diligence? Okay, no black book. (laughs) Oh, damn it. I wanted a bloody black book. Um, To match your black outfit. Exactly. I think that really depends on the individual circumstances of the claim. Like what, what you could find is people may be even under the care may actually have a really good treatment program in place where they're they're sitting there and whether it's musculoskeletal or mental health they're they're going to the specialist they've they've got surgeries they've had follow-up appointments they're seeing the physio they're seeing the psychologist there is no need for us to intervene anymore because the treatment plan is fine um We've got consultant medical officers that work across most insurers anyway. So the consultant medical officer will also generally review those claims and kind of go, look, there's nothing more to do here. We're, we're comfortable with everything that's going on. The only claims where we would really go out and get an independent medical is where, um, you know, based on medical advice, it's probably not followed the normal path of recovery and, and we probably need to understand why that has not happened. Or like a red flag, like, oh, they've changed GPs. Yes. All of a sudden. Yep. For whatever reason. Yeah. You know, or, or you're right. Or they're getting close to a return to work and then all of a sudden you, they change GPs and, and, or something's happened. Um, but in the main, we would prefer to rely more on our consultant medical officers um, rather than just going to an independent medical, but we will go to an independent medical if we need to ask some specific questions or we just need to understand why has this, why has the recovery not um, happened as, as soon as we would have thought. And we talked about recovery on mental health issues and, and the rehab support that can be offered. On the musculoskeletal side, is there this sort of rehab program and offering that we can offer? Claimants have got, you know, the bad backs. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And what's like, the main things that we see working really well within that that toolkit? Yeah, so with rehabilitation, things like uh, particularly on musculoskeletal exercise programs, getting them back into a gym, doing some physical upgrading, uh, work trials. There, there's a lot of things in the rehab toolkit that you could use to sort of help, you know, help customers get back to wellness. I've got one last question. Uh, and then I can throw to Danny to wrap up if she needs to. I was on a golf course on the weekend. Two week- you. Yeah, two weekends ago. Uh, I wasn't playing because I'm horrendous. There was another person that wasn't playing who was my friend who's on IP claim for his back. The joke around was, oh, you better make sure, you know, the insurance company's not out here watching, taking photos and all that. At what point like that, um, we want you to see an external doctor or something, if it looks sus, when are we sending the PI out or the photographer or is it, you know, you work from home only and is it you see things that look sus 
Because you guys see a lot of claims. It's apparent when something sticks out as sus, you'll know it looks yeah, sus. And again, it's, well, I think we talked about stigmas before around non-disclosure and everyone thinks every claim is investigated for non-disclosure and it's not the case. And surveillance is, is in that same boat, right? Well, surveillance is, is a tool that is used. How many uh, would um, you have on the books at the moment? Are you allowed to say? Oh, not many. Yeah, okay. Not many, yeah. no. Um, if any. Yeah. It's um, the rarity. It is the rarity. Um, and the reason being um, is, A, it's expensive, mm. um, and B, um, you generally need a good chunk of it. Um, but when you would do it is if there are inconsistencies in what you're seeing on the file. So as an example – Someone says, I can't work, I can't go to my work site because I've got a bad back, okay? But we're calling them. And then you hear construction noise in the background and they were a builder. Or you hear a golf club swinging. (laughs) And you kind of go, well, you know, the medical evidence is this guy can't work, he can't leave the house, can't lift more than five kilos. But when every time we call him- There's a jackhammer. There's a jackhammer going on in the background. And it's been six months. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So- we, we may at that point decide, well, you know, we might need to do some surveillance. But again, I want to get back to, um, you know, we, we and under Life Code and what we've agreed with the FSC, we've got some very stringent processes around surveillance and how surveillance can be used and when it can be done. And again, I think that's what people in the main don't appreciate is, Everyone thinks we're spying into their, their house. But, you know, there are some, some definite um, obligations that we have in terms of instructing surveillance, but it's not a tool that is widely used and it's definitely not used on every claim. As at this point in time, between one being a doormat and ten being a unicorn riding through a rainbow, how confident are you with the state of the insurance industry in Australia, particularly around claims and what the future looks like? Um, I'm, I'm concerned. Look, I, I, think it, I think it's a challenge for everyone. I don't think it's just a challenge for claims. I think mm. there's, there's a lot of things that are changing. Uh, I think Royal Commission changes. Uh, I think claims professional standards are a really good thing. I think what we are going to see is an elevation in the competency uh, of um, assessors in, in the insurance industry. I think um, I think the amount of regulation that that potentially comes as a result of this is going to be interesting and a wait and see approach. I think you know the changes that they've made to um, the new policy designs and how that's going to work and how the interplay of that um, is another area. I think. Claims people and claims managers across the industry would say there is a lot on our plate mm. at the moment. Um, so I think that we really need to pull together and navigate the next couple of years um, and see how it all lands. But I, I, I think eventually we will be in a good state. I think it's just going to be a rocky road to get there. I think that's a really good point. And look, I'd first first of all like to thank you Sharif because it's you've you've come and you've had some very courageous discussions based on 
the world as you see it, not not necessarily Zurich's view, but your experience and your opinions. And that's that's wonderful for you to share those. And we actually didn't prep Sharif with any of these questions. So they are your authentic opinions. So we really do appreciate that. And I guess- um, And they may not always be they may not, yeah, that's or, right. or correct. But no. it's all about opinions. <laughs> and I they think are need, yours. Yeah, they are yours. <laughs> And I think it's in a really important time to have these honest, transparent conversations because as an industry, we do need to band together to really make sure that the reputation that we're building shows the best of what we do because so much of what we do, like I'm really proud to be part of the insurance profession and, and as you say, we pay over 90% of claims really, really quickly. So 90% of families get this injection of cash at a really vulnerable time and we just want to make sure that that continues and through kind of bringing all the things that can go wrong to the surface, we're all better equipped to actually make sure that we eliminate as many of those as possible. So, you know, your very honest um, opinions and advice is, is really well received and appreciate it greatly and your prying questions, Glenn. Are wonderful as always, yeah, and hopefully it wasn't the, meant to be an attack or anything. No. I'm just like so like. <laughs> no, but it's great because we want to make sure that um, the advice and the processes and the insurance experience is as wonderful as possible for the people that are paying their premiums. So thank you so much for joining us. No worries, and I think um, I, I'd like to s- stress or, or second your point that you know in the main we should be really proud of what we do. Absolutely, um, we provide cover to you know millions of Australians and you know we're there when we when they need it most um and we should be really proud of that because we provide so much financial support and so much benefit to people that you know it's honest to you you forget that when you when you read some of the stuff that's in the media um but we we have a huge upside I think one of the best experiences of my life is telling somebody you know, who's got six months to live, hey, we've got an $800,000 term illness benefit for your family mm. coming this week. Yeah. And, and and there's, you know, sadly, there's, there's, you know, lots of stories around terminal terminally ill people that we've paid money to. But the relief that they get knowing that their family is going to be looked after is huge. Yeah. Totally. And I think that... Um I mean, I've certainly seen some of the unprompted feedback that, Sharif, your team gets, you know, daily, weekly, and I'm sure that's replicated across the industry at all provide, you know, with all providers. So some of that, like, feedback moves you to tears. So I think we do really need to remind ourselves how important what uh, we all do is. So thank you so much. I mean, I always say to my team, it's about making a difference and we make a difference. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, Sharif. Thank you. See you guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. If you are in the advice world and you've made it this far, my question to you is, who can you forward this episode to? Thank you so much for listening. This was made possible because of My Risk Advisor. You can head over to the Facebook group, My Risk Advisor, and join in on the conversation. 